welcome to the Fertility Conversations podcast. The goal of this podcast is to create more awareness about infertility and to provide support to people trying to conceive. Thank you for listening today, and we hope you will be encouraged. And now, here is your host, Ola. Welcome to episode 33. Today I have with me a lovely guest, Abiola Adewusi. She is the founder of Medban Agency, which offers professional support services in the field of reproductive medicine in Nigeria. You can connect with that agency on Instagram at Medban Agency. Her details would also be in the show notes. So welcome, Abiola, and thank you for joining us today. Thanks for having me. I'm happy to be here. Thank you. So to start off, please tell us a little bit about yourself and your agency. All right. My name, as you've introduced, is Abiola Dewusi. I am the director of Medbon Agency, and um, I would say I'm a founder as well. Um, I just like to, I believe in growth. And so I believe since this is an entrepreneurial um, level, we need to start at a level where we can grow. And so that that's the reason why I don't usually use the word founder or CEO right. or stuff like that. But um, about myself, I am a medical sonographer by profession. I, that's what I went to school for. But before I went to school for medical sonography, I had a little uh, stint in some other field, an area of study. The first one is accounting. Okay. I, um, I have uh, a national, ordinary national diploma in that and I've started the, the higher national diploma before I decided to uh, travel abroad at the time due to the closure of schools that students are experiencing at the time as well back then. Mm-hmm. And I changed career courses and I then eventually got a bachelor's degree in human resource management. Wow. And um, I worked in in the field for about say four years before I decided to make a U-turn into the medical field. And going into the medical field basically was, it it, it took a lot of research and uh, soul searching and really what I want to do that I would like to do that would be fulfilling as uh, to me as a person. And so I decided to go into ultrasonography and because um, I had little ones and I wanted to be able to still work from Monday to Friday, nine to right. five kind of job and have mm-hmm. my weekends with the kids and all that. So that kind of just fit right down my alley. And, you know, people wonder, how are you able to get into the science field from your background? <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, I'm from a family of scientists. And I'm always, I've always been science inclined. When I was in high school, I took sciences. When I was in college doing my human resource management um, degree, I've always taken electives that are in the science field. So wow. it wasn't very difficult for me to, to make a U-turn and come back into the science, into the sciences. And you know, that 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 was where I guess I was always going to be anyway. And it's been very gratifying being in the in the field. Of reproductive medicine because when I graduated from the uh, medical ultrasound school, my first job out of school is with a fertility clinic, um, wow. and I, I 
I got a I got a very good tutelage from um, she's late now. Um, God rest her soul, Dr. Caroline Coulomb. He's he was he she was my mentor until she passed. She took me under her wings and she told me she said, "Well, I know you went to school for ultrasound, but you're gonna have to learn more about fertility." and you know recurrent pregnancy loss and immunology for that matter so and she she was one of the pioneers of um, IVF in the U.S. and she started the program in Mayo Clinic and that was how I started my journey so and because I had the solid grounding in in the field of reproductive medicine it kind of made me fall in love with the career of you know altogether Altogether, I didn't go to school for it. I had to learn on the job, go for trainings, go for courses, and you know, kind of just learn, train with the best. And that was basically how I um, landed in the field of reproductive medicine. And it's 18 years down the line, and I'm still wow. learning and still enjoying, you know, what I do. And um, helping patients is is like the most gratifying thing. You know, when you have patients that are helpless. And they they're in the desirous of you know having their own children, and you're able to offer you know any kind of assistance whatsoever, whether it eventually worked or not. You know they just leave feeling like okay, I think I've done my best. I think I've tried my best. And when it finally clicks and they get their answers, I mean it's it's just the most wonderful feeling in the world. So that's um. That's basically, and I'm here, you know, so, so now when I came 14 years ago to work with Medical Arts Center, I um, from the US, I, I just basically continued the same thing I was doing in America. It's so interesting because my late mentor, Dr. Coulomb, was the one that introduced me to, you know, my boss at Medical Arts Center, Professor Ashiro, oh, wow. uh, at the time when we met in Chicago. And I didn't know who he was at the time. I didn't know he pioneered idea either. But um, he, him and his wife stopped by at the office and they came to talk to me and, you know, they said, well, you know, you're who we need with, at our practice in Nigeria. And I'm like, okay, uh, if I come to Nigeria, I don't think I want to work for anybody. I think I want to just do my own thing. And, you know, talks kept going. And we just had conversation and I've always wanted my children to grow up in Nigeria anyway. So, you know, that kind of worked out and I, you know, a year Later, I just found myself in Nigeria, packed my bags and brought my kids and we're in Nigeria. And I'm still in Nigeria till today, 14 years down the line. I spent 14 years at Medical Arts Center. And um, in June of last year, I just, you know, I just felt, you know, although a couple of years prior to that, I've been thinking, you know, I really need to focus on, you know, maybe doing something a little bit more challenging and get out of my comfort zone. Because mm-hmm. what I was doing at Medical Arts Center is now more of a, it has become a routine. And yes, you know, you find things. Sometimes, you know, you just, you know, go to work and make sure that things are going on autopilot and moving the way they're supposed to. Mm-hmm. And I think for me, um, if there's no challenge, it just, it, it, you know, there's no, there's no drive. I mean, it's, it's comforting to be able to be there for patients that actually, you know, need the help and talk to them. But I think that something 
more challenging needs to be done. And as I sat behind my desk, I realized that um, there's a big gap. There's still a big gap, you know, between you know the clinics and the patients that needs to be. It's a void that needed to be filled. And I thought to myself, there's no way I'll be able to fill that void still at Medical Arts Center. And and that's one of the reasons why I decided to disengage and try to step out and do, you know, what I'm doing at the moment. Um, going to Medban, like you, you know, succinctly said in your introduction, Medban is all about support services to fertility, anything that has to do with reproductive medicine. We offer support services to the clinics, we offer support services to the patients, and we offer support services in any aspect of fertility um, uh, treatment. So basically, there, there are different umbrellas, you know, the, the, the windows. As far as the patient's concerned, we offer, you know, consulting services, counseling services, and we, you know, offer fertility mental health, um, you know, training, if you, if, you, if you need anything. Like, for instance, I had, a, I had an old patient, she just called me out of the blues and said, oh, I need this uh, special condom that my husband needs to, and I've looked everywhere, I can't find it, and the clinic that I'm using does not have it, they ran out, and they said, you know, there's no, you know, they can't find it anywhere, is there a way you can help me? And I picked up the phone, I called around, and I was able to get her what she needed. So, uh, wow. of course, that's not listed yeah. in, in, in the service, but anything, because the truth of the matter is that if you've been in this field for almost two decades, then you should be able to know how to navigate your ways to get anything that you want, be it for the patient or the clinic or whoever is in need of it. So, you know, I just use that as an example. It's, it can be simple as that and be very, very difficult to be able to have her accomplish her goals for the treatment that she wants to do. So, you know, anything um, for the, as far as the clinics are concerned, we help in the area of third-party reproduction, recruitment of donors, recruitment of surrogates, and recruitment of donor sperm as well. So if clinics need donors and surrogates, then we will be happy to support and assist them to do, you know, get source those people. And we screen them to make sure that, you know, they're okay and good to go. So they're readily available to clinics and to patients alike. And also, um, we do uh, consulting services, you know, from our wealth of experience. If you're a clinic and you need, you know, to tap into my wealth of experience as far as, you know, things running in the organization or in the clinic as far as fertility is concerned, mm -hmm. we have that down. We can help and assist. I actually have um, uh, one or two clinics right now that are startups and, you know, they're utilizing our services to be able to, you know, get themselves started off on the right foot because there are lots of things involved, you know, there are uh, standards, there are regulation and, you know, all of that. By the way, I'm also the Secretary General of the Association for Fertility and Reproductive Health in Nigeria. Okay. And um, I, I, I hold a very important role and I know that, you know, from the regulations and guidelines that we have for clinics that practice ART, you know, I know that I like the back of my hand and I would be able to, you know, help any upcoming clinic that, 
needs the assistance to know where they need to go and what they need to do and how they need to get started because there are lots of clinics out there, not necessarily quacks, but they're not doing it right because they don't have the right resources you know, to tap from because you know, there are too many informations out there, too many people doing different things and doing it their own way. But you know, there is a good way and there is a not so good way that things can be done to achieve the same goal. So um, basically, I think I've touched on everything about myself and about Medvan uh, so far, and we can talk more later if something comes up. Yeah, thank you so much. That's an amazing introduction, yes. And of course, you've been uh, in several, so many different um, areas, and now to return to fertility, which is actually perfect, uh, considering uh, infertility affects so many people in Nigeria and outside Nigeria as well. And it's actually amazing as well, you being the secretary of the... Uh, um, the Association, Association for Fertility Nigeria. and Reproductive Yeah, health. that's pretty handy, actually. So, like you noted rightfully, uh, being able to know so many things that are involved and restrictions and rules to abide by. So that's actually really good. Um, you noted that you provide services to clients and to clinics and support services. So for if someone is listening, they can approach you directly for donor eggs or do they need to go through a, a clinic? Yes, they can approach us directly for donor egg and we'll be happy to send them to whatever, wherever they want the donor sent to. So they can, you know, select a clinic of their choice and come to us and, you know, source for donors or for surrogates. We do that all the time. Yeah. And we'll send them to the clinics. Perfect. And is that and the clinics mm -hmm. and the clinics can do the same. They can actually source for donors and surrogates on behalf of the patient directly from us and we'll send them to Okay. And that is just, just within Nigeria or can that be sent to other anywhere. Oh, you okay. can be anywhere in the world. It can be anywhere in the world. And it will we, we do have a lot of patients coming in from diaspora. Right. So I do have a handful of of clients actually mm -hmm. that lives abroad that that I that we deal with so that's that's not a problem the only the only thing that we haven't done to date is have a, a donor travel out of Nigeria to go somewhere else and that's you know that that it or a surrogate for that matter and that right. comes with its own restrictions I think you know there are lots of ways around it where you don't have to physically act you know, get that person out. You can just, you know, retrieve the eggs or ship the eggs or retrieve right. the sperm and ship the sperm without actually physically getting. There are ways around it. There are ways that things can be done. And, you know, the, the future, well, the future is here already, is, you know, you basically egg banking and um, sperm banking has been there forever, but egg banking is like, that's the new norm. Yeah. And is that getting more common in Nigeria, you see? Are you seeing more of that? Yeah, well, we're not there yet, but we're migrating towards that. Right. And in terms of, I mean, um, surrogacy, I'm starting to see a little bit more, but even then, it's still very hush-hush. I, I wonder if you're seeing a lot more, I mean, you're in the business. So I'm just wondering, are you seeing a lot more people comfortable with using surrogates? Um, absolutely absolutely that's absolute uh when i came back to join medical Ad center in 
2006. I mean, it, it was almost a taboo. Nobody yeah. talks about it. It's, you know, harsh is like, you can't even open your mouth to mm -hmm. say you want to use a surrogate. Like you can't, it's unheard of. 14 years down the line, right now today, I would say we've come a very long way. And now it's more, people are talking about it. It's more acceptable. Uh, it's no big deal anymore. Uh, although 50% of the clientele still like to carry baby bumps and pretend that they yeah. are the one pregnant, but 50% are willing to say, I used a surrogate. So what? It's no yeah. big deal. So it's getting more and more acceptable. And, that, and that's the reason why I think that, you know, people are exploring that option other, you know, before they consider adoption. Right. So, so, so that way, at least they have, you know, some, some of their genetic makeup, you know, just being carried by someone else. Right. I think that, you know, it, it's getting more and more acceptable uh, at this time. Right. Uh, it, it's, I mean, it's, it's in, interesting how much culture and society, how much role they play in that aspect in terms of accepting that people still feel the need to um, pretend they are the ones carrying the baby, but it's just because, again, they're trying to avoid uh, the stigma that goes, that could go along with it uh, still. Well, yeah, well, we cannot, um, we cannot totally eliminate the factor of culture. Yeah. Um, you know, we are who we are. Uh, it is what it is. Uh, I think that, you know, the, we, the culture has a very strong hold on, on us and we cannot ignore that fact. So I think as a patient, you would have to know the kind of family that you're from. If, if your family is the type that, you know, would look at you funny, uh, well, you better have that baby bump wrapped up and act like you delivered that child. I have no objection whatsoever yeah. to having baby bumps. And if you think that your family is the liberal type and they're well exposed and they're well educated, and, and you know, I'll also add, it has nothing to do with education and exposure. You know, because, you know, when it comes to culture, exposure goes to the doghouse yeah. and education goes to the doghouse because nobody thinks about education and exposure at that time. They just exactly. want, you know, the culture thing to, to take precedence. But you, as a person, you have to determine what works for you. So it's not a one size fit all. Um, if if you think that, you know, you're, you're from a family that they will just look at you and say, hmm, <laughs> then you do the needful and, yeah. you know, just work accordingly. But I think, you know, with time, we will get past that and everybody will look at it as a form of treatment rather than um, castigate people that actually explore that option. Back in the days, if you, if you don't have a womb or your womb is compromised, that's it. You don't have a choice. Yeah. You're done. But now there are options. There are options available for you, and you know that's technology, that's science, and we have to embrace it. Wonderful, well said. And do you think? What about? Do you think society is uh, getting more accepting of 
don't know gametes, don't know eggs, don't know embryos. Absolutely, know absolutely. I, I think that's probably one of the most difficult things that patients uh, would have to come to the realization of accepting or embracing because, you know, you have a lot of people, even now, yeah. You talk to them about donor, they're like, excuse me, I'm just 45 years old. Why should I use donor? I can use my own eggs. And they're like, sorry, you're considered advanced maternal age at that time. And the egg ovarian reserve is being depleted. And they're in shock, you know, because, I'm, you know, and that's the reason why more awareness needs to be done by, you know, professionals like us to tell yeah. people that, Hello. Once you clock thirty, you know it's it's the you know the the the, the hourglass is is fast depleting as far as mm-hmm. ovarian reserve is concerned. So that aspect, I think a lot of people are probably still not very uh, educated about because they feel like if I'm forty five, I should still be able to use my egg, but that's not the case. Um, when you're 30 and you nothing has happened and you probably need to, if you haven't met Mr. Wright yet, you probably yeah. need to start thinking of preserving your eggs until Mr. Wright comes uh, because that's the best time between 30 and 35. After yeah. that, it's a long shot. You know, you, you may just be getting the bottom of the barrel. So and that's the reason why we're also advocating social egg freezing for the career women out there, or people that you know maybe wants to just continue with schooling until they're you know forty, they should be thinking of preserving their eggs. Otherwise, when they get to 40, 45, they maybe have to consider donor eggs, and you know that's difficult part. Some people it takes them, you know, months, years to even yeah. come to terms with using you know, donor egg. And then you start to ask the question, you know, um, if you can adopt a child, you can adopt an egg. You know, you're, 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 you're taking donor egg to be able to procreate and have a child of your own that you can love. So if it's just donor egg, at least the sperm of the husband is there and, you know, it's still your child because you're carrying the baby and um, you're not going to tell, how many people are you going to tell, oh, by the way, um, the DNA of this child is not mine. It's not the same as mine. Who says that? Who talks about that? Nobody. So, you know, it's just a matter of pick your choice. If you're able to preserve your eggs, preserve it. If you're not able to preserve your eggs, just have at the back of your mind that you may end up having to use donor egg when you eventually start to um, have, plan to have your family. And it doesn't help that, uh, you know, our parents, our mothers did have children till 45, some cases even 50. So I think in our minds, we think that, well, if, if they could, uh, sure, certainly we have more time. Well, well, the truth of the matter is that, you know, if you look back, back in the days, our parents actually started early, having, yeah. having babies early. They don't wait until, you know, they're in their 30s to start having children. They mm-hmm. started having children when they're, 19, 20, 21. And, you know, yes, it happens that some people may actually end up getting pregnant, you know, um, misfired shots at 50 or 45 or whatever the case may be, you know, 
yeah. children that you're not expecting you just end up pregnant and you have another child when you thought you were done it happens all the time and I'm not saying that it can never happen but I'm saying if you want to be deliberate about it yeah don't wait until it's too late hmm. um and of course we talked a lot about donor eggs what about donor sperm I mean in our society there's such a huge well yeah, it's, um, you know, the reality is that infertility now, we know now what yeah. we didn't know before because it used to be, oh, it's the woman's problem. Exactly. It, it, you know, if, if, if a couple get married and they don't have a child one, two years, then everybody starts to look at the woman and uh-huh. say, hello, what are you doing? Yeah, exactly. Now, we know now that even the men contribute 50% to the infertility cases that exist. So they're just as guilty as the woman. Most of the time, they're even more guilty than the woman because most of the time it's either low sperm count or bad sperm or no sperm at all. Yeah. And that's the instances where they need to use donor sperm. And, you know, you can just imagine, and then they say, oh, you know, the advice of the woman, you're still young, nothing is happening, you go for tests, go and try outside now. And then, boom, she yeah. gets pregnant. Then, you know, she's not able to say, oh, I just went to try to see if it'll click one and click. She'll just keep quiet and have the baby for the man. And, you know, that's why they say Nigeria has the highest rate of uh, I know. fatality. <laughs> I that. I was like, whoa. <laughs> you know, and it, you know, it's a culture, cultural thing. You know, you talk to your auntie, you talk to your sister, you talk to your, and they say, just go and try, see if it'll click. You know, just go and try, see if it'll click. And you do the hush hush, the thing will click, the first one will click, the second one will click. Eh, you start having them say, Shabi, yeah, he's bearing his name now, Shabi, whatever. You know, and the cycle goes on. Yeah. You know, because the, the man himself is thinking, you know, I'm the man. Why would I? Exactly. I mean, I, there's nothing wrong with me. And, you know, unfortunately, most of our men do not want to go and get tested. No. They don't. I don't know whether it's for fear of finding out that they have a problem or whatever the case may be, but they just don't want to go and find out that they, you know, maybe they have they are the issues. And most of the time, the woman will not wait till the ones that don't want to go and try to, to yeah. see if we, they would wait until they're 50 and then they would not start trying or seeking help, idea treatment. And by that time, hello, it's too late. So when you talk to them about donor, it's so difficult because then they're thinking, wow, I've wasted all this time waiting and hoping and praying that something will click. Meanwhile, it's my husband that had the problem all along. And that's the reason why we campaign to young ones. Do not wait. Once you start trying for 12 months, you are young, you're in your 20s, you're trying for 12 months, nothing is happening. Go and seek help. Because it may be easier to tweak at that time and then you'll be able to get pregnant than when you wait for another 10 years down the line. It gets a little bit more complicated as, you know, the couple ages. Yes, so true. And in terms of you saying that you're raising awareness for the young ones now, um, how is that going? Uh, people being more receptive to the idea of egg freezing, of the idea of uh, just being aware, because you know, again, people still have a lot of issues, even 
access and fertility treatment, right? Because people don't want to play God. And yeah, well, you know, it's work in progress. The, the, the journey has started. Um, like I said, I'm the Secretary General of the, of the Fertility Association in Nigeria, and, and we do have a training committee. Okay. The training committee is dedicated to um, actually getting this awareness out to people. We just finished the uh, fertility forum um, uh, last week, I believe it was last week, Saturday. Okay. I moderated that uh, webinar that we opened up to the general public and all we talked about was social egg freezing. Um, some people oh, wow. will have to freeze their egg for health reasons if they're going through um, oncology for right. treatment for, um, for cancer and whatnot. Um, if you're young, you've been diagnosed with cancer, a male or female, you can actually have your sperm stored for future use. You can have, actually have your eggs stored for future use. Some people are more advanced in the, in the Western world that they actually take a tissue out of the uh, ovary and mm -hmm. freeze it for future so they can yeah. implant it back into the ovary to, re to redevelop the ovarian tissue. Uh, there's so many... Um, um, technology out there that you know just gives room for you know tweaking things yeah you know you you, you say that fertility specialists are playing god they're not playing god they're just making available the options that are out there so if i talk to you about social egg freezing or you feel like oh well maybe i can't even afford it at this time but yes make an educated decision about it if mm -hmm. I'm not able to afford it at this time, or maybe, you know, I'm not ready, Mr. Wright will come. That's fine. And, the, you know, the truth, the truth of the matter is that social egg freezing does not even guarantee yeah. anything. It doesn't guarantee anything because you may freeze your eggs and use it in the future and nothing comes out of it. Like IVF is not 100% guaranteed. Nice. But at least it increases your chances of being able to have a child of your own. And worldwide, the success rate for fertility treatment at the time, all over the world, is between 35 and 45%. It's not even up to 50% yet. It just depends on the type of treatment that you go through that increases your probability maybe about 10 or additional 15% right. to be able to achieve that conception. So IVF is not 100%. You freezing your head, eggs is not 100% that you would actually get a life child out of it. And the younger you are, or the older you are, the more eggs you need to be frozen. So for instance, if a 25 year old comes and say, I want to freeze my eggs, you can just freeze maybe about 15 eggs and hope that, you know, out of that 15 eggs, you'll be able to have a child or two out of right. that, right? If you are 30, that's just five years difference. You need double the amount of wow. eggs to free yes yeah, so that you can have the same probability of you know taking a child or two out of that because when you're older the, the chances reduces so you need more eggs to be able to increase your chances so when you're 35 uh, you even need a lot more wow. and you know the irony of it is that as the older you get the lesser the number of eggs that you provide so it's a double-edged sword yeah, we definitely the younger ones uh, become letting them know they need to be more aware because yeah. when, you, when you're listening to your statistics, I mean, it's just wow.
we need to start early. How many of us get married at 24, 25 now? Not that many. Well, you know, so that's the reason why we need to, you know, put the awareness out. Yeah. So in talking more about egg donor or sperm donor, how much, I mean, you mentioned earlier, you do a lot of screening. Um, how much screening is done? Because sometimes people are concerned, you know, they're not sure uh, if there are any uh, issues with the person or that actually donated the egg or the sperm, any mental health issues, how much research and screening is done for prospective donors? Okay, so screening for donors uh, is, is, is a little bit different for screening for surrogates. Um, right. uh, although there is a general baseline screening where you would screen, you, you know, you have, uh, when a donor walks into the door, the first thing you want to do is just keep, do a quick physical assessment. It's, it's, it's stages, it's different phases. Okay. You want to do a quick physical assessment. You want to do a, you know, maybe an informal interview, and right. then you do a blood test. A blood test is baseline for everybody. And then once the blood test is clear, then you do a proper interview where they fill out a questionnaire. And then you use that questionnaire to actually interview and scrutinize everything that they have listed or answered in the questionnaire. And you have to keep in mind that these donors are very smart. They will tell you what you want to hear. They will mm -hmm. tell, they anticipate what you expect, especially with age. Uh, I have a lot of donors that come because they know that there's an age limit. And yes. then they'll tell me this is my age. But when you ask them for the date of birth, then it doesn't tally. Mm -hmm. So, and I don't know a lot of people that will miss their date of birth. You know, if you ask <laughs> no. me, if you ask me for my date of birth, then as old as I am, I think I can answer even while I'm fast asleep. So, yeah. but you know, you kind of have to be able to be in it long enough to be able to decipher if this one is telling me stories or mm -hmm. if they're tell actually telling me the truth. Some go to the extent of saying that they have a degree in this and have a degree in that because, you know, the screening parameters, oh, yeah. you know, kind of varies and all that. And, you know, for me, I just want the truth. It, you know, you don't have to, I want some level of intelligence. You don't have to have all the degrees in the world. After all, um, we do have, you know, awareness in the schools and the universities. We do have college, college uh, university students that are, you know, accepting and willing to do the do nothing. But most of the cohorts that are available and readily available to do it is just, it's not because they don't want to go to school, it's because they didn't have the opportunity to. And when you have a conversation with them, you can tell that they are actually very intelligent and they're intelligent enough to actually preempt you and know what you actually want from them. And, you know, at the end of the day, you, you make them go through all the screening and let them know that, listen, I don't want you to like, tell me the way to, don't lie to me, don't try to impress me. That's not what I want. I just want to get to know you, your true identity, the person you are and what you do and how you do it. Because, you know, what they're doing, you know, truly and truly is, is very altruistic. I mean, there's no yeah. amount of money you can pay them to, to, to compensate them for what they're doing. 
And so they need to know that. That's why the education and the counseling comes because we do educate and counsel the donors and the surrogates as well. So right. through that, you get to, you know, when, when you're going, when, they, when they've done the, the, the physical screening, the blood screening, then they go through the psychological screening. And then, you know, you get to know that, oh, okay, that if they're qualified or not. So they, there are lots of them that are actually disqualified. It's not everybody... It's not an automatic um, process. You right. um, are definitely disqualified. And then for the surrogates, you have to make sure that they're you know, healthy enough to be able to do it. You have to know that they've had children in the past or they've experienced pregnancy and had successful deliveries. And you know, the, they, they also do the blood test uh, screening and they also do the questionnaire screening. And then you also question them and ask them questions. And you all, you particularly want to scrutinize the surrogates deeper than the donor because the donor process is very short. It's about two weeks, everything is done. But the surrogate, it takes a span of about, you know, eight to nine months. Yeah. And you want to be sure that they're going to be dedicated to the process and they have, you know, the mental stability and family support that they need to be able to go through that process. So those are the things that, you know, you, you have to really... Um, as a professional, make sure that you know, you're getting the right people. And right. that's one of the things that we offer. We just don't take everybody off the street and put them through cycle. No, we don't do that. Okay. That's wonderful. And in terms, again, of um, donors, either sperm or eggs, sometimes people have the concern that um, how is it controlled? You know, people don't want to feel like a, a particular, especially in maybe donor sperm that you know a man could potentially have thousands of babies all over the states and you know <laughs> well they're having that problem in the western world i can yeah. tell you that much um donor sperm well hey um even men can decide to have 100 200 children yeah. if they decide to marry many wives so that one is not an issue but for the donor egg um, the, the, the standard is that a donor cannot donate more than six times and hopefully will not birth maybe more than three, five, right. at most six out of that. Um, that's, the, that's the universal standard. So, and that's the reason why Medvan um, has decided or have decided that we're going to help this area this lacuna okay so you have a situation where you have a donor register with 10 clinics say yeah. i'd like to donate right mm. and then of course it's going to be whoever is ready to call me first i go and then when i'm done here i go to the next one when i'm done there i go to the next one and then they keep going and going and going and of course they're smart enough to know that oh well you know my name may you know just pop up somewhere and it, someone may recognize my name and then they go changing and you know, answering a nickname or having a pseudonym or, you yeah. know, changing, you know, just assuming another identity altogether. And when I was with Medical Arts Center, I, I actually felt handicapped, you know, mm -hmm. with this process because, you know, no matter what, how you screen them or interview them, you know, they, you can never know where they have been to until they tell you. I mean, only, right. un unless you have a crystal ball that you're looking at and, <laughs> yeah. you know, to say, okay, has this donor gone somewhere? And that's, that was what gave birth to the data 
management, the database management that Medfund. Medfund is the only agency that has that database management. So we cater, what we're doing is trying to establish a database management that has a unique identifier that clinics can actually go and run a query on a donor that walks into their door if they have you know, gone somewhere else and how they have they oh, done. Really nice. yeah. And, um, and you know, the, 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 to register donors, it's free. There's nothing, it doesn't cost you anything to register surrogates, it's free. Uh, if you subscribe to the database management that MedBank provided, it's going to be, it costs you nothing to enter you know, the data of the donor. However, if you want to run a query, because the donors go from clinic to clinic, if they come to you and say, have you been somewhere else before? And their knee jerk answer is no, I haven't done it before, or I've only done it once. That wow. once is like they've done it five times. They're just telling you, yes, I haven't experienced any, but I've only done it once. Because they know that's what you want to hear. Yeah. So that's the reason why um, Medvan has decided, you know what, we're going to try to step into this space and bring some kind of sanity into this because not only does it give you a true picture of the donor that you're using it also helps the donor to you know protect them you know protect themselves basically without them knowing that hey hey lady you've done it 10 times already it's time for you to take a break you don't want to just keep going like an energizer battery, you know, yeah. yes, you're doing, you know, something good, but yeah, there's a limit to, to what you could do and don't expose yourself to unnecessary pressure. And they need to know that in as much as they can still have their own children after they've donated, they cannot wait until they're 40 before they start trying. And then they say, yeah, oh, I was told I can have my own babies or not. They've taken all my eggs yeah. and I can't have my own babies. You know, that's part of the counseling that goes to the donors. You know, you have to actually sit them down and let them know what they're doing, what they're getting into, how many times they can do it and how it can affect them adversely if they continue to just go and go and go. And, you know, <clears throat> on the other hand, with the clinics, when donors continue to go and go and go and go, at some point, the body is going to say, you know what, I'm tired. I'm not going to do yeah. anything. And I then by that. the time you find out that they're not responding to your treatment, you spend 200000 250000 300000 in some cases has gone down the drain. But you can quickly find out if they've gone to several places on our database and pay peanuts, you know, right. for maybe... 5,000 naira as opposed to losing 200,000 to just be sure that this donor is who they say they are and they haven't, you know, gone to several places like they say they haven't. Wow, that's an amazing service that you're offering there. It's actually very helpful to people, like you said, for both sides, both to the patients and to the clients and um, for the clinics rather as well. So that's yeah. wonderful. Um, in terms of... Um, the, the, you know, counseling, because you mentioned counseling a lot, and that's actually really amazing that you offer counseling, because I think many times people are not aware of, uh, of what the feelings and emotions that they could actually go through when um, considering donor gametes or surrogacy. But in talking about donor gametes, when people uh, do the counseling, do you also help to almost prepare their minds to know that, okay, you know, sometimes someone might feel like, well, they use a donor and then have, maybe use a donor egg and then have a child and 
maybe a year after they have a baby without even trying. But now oh, they, yeah. they can't go back and say that, you know, now that I have my own biological quote unquote. Okay, so this is the way, so this is the way, yeah, that's a possibility. And that's part of what we um, discuss with patients all the time. There's a high probability that once you uh, use a donor or you even adopt, right, uh, yeah. the stress hormone in your system just drastically just fizzles away because then you feel like, okay, I'm accomplished, I'm okay, I'm good to go. And then, you know, you just go about doing your own thing and then boom, you realize that you're pregnant. It happens all the time. That does not take away the fact that that child is your child because you have that, you have that child as yours and you're raising that child already and you're bonded with that child already. And you know, there's no, it's, there's no, and that's what I tell patients, you know, when they say, hey, but that child is not my child. I say, hey, so that child is not your child. So really you carry pregnancy for nine months, eight months, nine months, and then you deliver that baby. Are you going to let some fly patch on that child? I don't think so. Exactly. You you carry that child, you deliver that child, and that child is your child. Even if someone says, even if someone's trying to remind you that, hey, remember this this egg is this child is donor egg, you'd be like, uh-huh. <laughs> exactly. You know, because at that time you have bonded with this child, you this child is yours. So there is no question whatsoever. Mm-hmm. I have never seen knock on wood in my 18 years. Where someone comes back and say, hey, hey, by the way, you know, this donor egg child, I don't want it again. Says who? <laughs> as in, never, knock on wood. You know, the only scenarios that happen is that, you know, maybe if a surrogate carries a baby and the baby, you know, comes out to be abnormal or something is right. off, and then, you know, there's a controversy about, okay, I don't want, you know, because nobody wants an unhealthy. A child or, or a baby so you know that kind of gets a little bit controversial and that's where the agreement for the surrogate comes in you know with the paid, paid uh, intending parents and the surrogate so the intending parents knows that good bad ugly this is yours you're not going to abandon any child anywhere you know this is what we're getting into so you know it, it's, a, it's a lot more interesting and deeper when it's the surrogacy rather than the donor aspect so even if you use a donor you have a child that maybe is a little bit off balance or not you know quite there yet it's still your baby i mean you carried the baby you delivered the baby you're the mother of the child so you take care of the child that's a great uh clause to have in the contract for sure just get people thinking and knowing that you know that's reality even for yourself if you have a baby it's you don't go and abandon oh yeah Yeah, absolutely yeah and there are lots of young young uh, couple having you know babies with down syndrome or you know one mm-hmm. thing or the other i mean it's just it's just that we all have it it's just the one that we just hope that the one that is resilient that is oh. not so good that is resilient don't come because nature has a way of selecting yeah. nature can say okay it's not good enough let's just let this die off but sometimes they're resilient they keep growing and they come yeah and some of them are not compatible with life and some of them are compatible with life, but you know, you just, you know, it's, it's just one of those things. Right. And it happens naturally too, not necessarily. Exactly. IVF. Yeah, exactly. Cause IVF babies are normal babies. 
I know, right? It's good to, to stress that because sometimes people, yeah. people think otherwise. Yeah. Um, uh, in terms of surrogates, um, how much information do they, like, do they know the intending parents? No. Or, right, okay. No, no. Um, and I say no um, as a knee-jerk answer because majority of our surrogates don't get to meet the intending parents. However, we have a, a clause that says, if you would like to know your surrogate, there is an opportunity for you to do that. And the surrogate has to be willing to know you as well. So it's not completely off the table to right. meet your intending parents or the intending parents meeting the surrogate. But I, because of a peculiar situation in Nigeria culturally, I, for the most part, don't encourage it. But if they want to meet the surrogate and the intending parent wants to meet the surrogate and the surrogate wants to meet the intending, they both have to consent to that and we would have the appropriate surrogate to go for that intending parent. So, right. And there's some clinics, you know, that are, you know, that are clients that they, all they do is um, on anonymous. On anonymous means that parents will meet the surrogate. That's, that's their own standard. Mm -hmm. They want the surrogates to meet the intending parents. Okay. I have, you know, clients like that. But, you know, for, for the majority of the clinics, they, they, um, they um, or the majority of the intending parents don't even want to meet their surrogate. Right. Some of them cite their surrogate, like they, they get to see their surrogate, but the surrogates will know that um, those are their intending parents. Oh, I see. Okay. And for donors, how much information does the uh, client get? You know, do they see... Okay, so for, or... do for donors, the client... Some clinics um, still give out, you know, the picture as a form of identity, uh, right. but most clinics share the profile. Right. That's okay. what they share. So they share the, everything, everything about the donor from, you know, the first name to the age, to the religion, to the ethnicity, to the complexion, to the, you know, um, the education. I think I mentioned that height, weight, you know, all those nitty gritty yeah. details. Yeah. It's shared with the patient. Okay. That's good to know. Uh, and someone is listening, you know, perhaps has been told by a clinic they need to consider donor gametes, either eggs or sperm uh, or even surrogacy and is just not sure how to proceed. How would you say to reach out to you or just, you know, take the okay, first step? Okay, so, so for, for couples out there that, have, that are faced with the challenge of having to accept the reality of needing donor egg or donor sperm. I say you're not alone mm -hmm. um, in this difficult situation. There are lots and lots and lots of people that need the same, um, that are in the same situation. So don't think you're alone. Um, I would say that truly and truly, it's all in the mind. 
there is nothing wrong in using donor egg or using donor sperm. If you desire to have your own children um, that you would love, nurture and raise, um, you need to be open-minded about it. You can actually adopt, you know, from a complete stranger and you don't know what the makeup of that person is. So how come you can adopt an egg by sperm, you know, that you need and then that you would raise and that you would carry and that, you, you know, it's, it's just... It's just like someone needing blood transfusion, really. I mean, mm-hmm. I'm sick, I'm in the hospital, I'm shut of blood. I need someone to donate their blood, you know, for me to be able to continue with life. Because um, if I don't get that blood, I am, you know, I'll be gone. So what do I do? I don't know the person that is donating blood to me. I just need any kind of blood to survive. Yeah. So, you know, I just, you know, I relate this. Yes, having a baby is not a matter of life and death, but it's a necessity, you know, for the people that desire to have children. It's a desire, and that desire to have children is very critical. And, you know, the, the, the medicine is so advanced now that you, you, you've been given different kinds of opportunities to be able to have, you know, the child or the children uh, of your own that you desire to have. So don't think of it like, oh, you know, why me? Is this happening to me? Other people are able to do this without having to uh, consider this option. No, right. you're not alone. Trust me, the thousands and thousands, millions and millions out there that also require the same trend, they will not tell you if they've actually explored that option or not. Nobody, you know, they don't owe anybody any explanation on how they achieve, you know, the success story. So exactly. don't worry, just do it. <laughs> well said. Thank you so much. Um, and is there anything else you'd like to share about your agency and services you provide or? Well, um, you know, I'm just going to reiterate that, um, Medbond Agency is an organization that just do anything and everything to support the fertility world. Anything that has to do with reproductive medicine, we're into it. We're going to support anybody that needs the help or requires the help every step of the way. Um, We are very customer centric. Anybody that walks through the door, be it the clinic, be it the patient, be it the donors, be it the surrogate, they're all our clients. So so basically, um, MedBond is here to support you every step of the way, whether you're a clinic, whether you're a patient, whether you're a donor, a surrogate, anything that has to do with fertility world. In this field, we're here, we're customers focused, customer centric, we're reliable, and we do a lot with confidentiality as well, very reliable. And, you know, we're here to just, you know, help anybody that is in the field. Thank you so much. And you've been there for such a long time, you know, working with the pioneers in the industry, working with the pioneers in the US, in Nigeria. And so, you know, you're well informed and definitely 
have the information to be able to and experience. Absolutely. We have that advantage and, uh, you know, we're willing to help as many people as possible to be able to explore the need and the services that they require. And um, you can also um, get more information on our website. We can be reached at um, medbonagency.com. And we're also on Instagram, Facebook, Twitter. <laughs> All over social media. <laughs> yes, we are. Yes, we are. Thank you so much. It's been You're amazing welcome. having you on here on the show. It's been such an informative session. Um, you shared so much wisdom, so, dropped so much nuggets. I mean, it's everyone listening has been blessed. I have been blessed. And I'm so happy to actually see that we have an agency like yours in Nigeria with us because many times we feel that we need to travel abroad to access the services so it's, it's wonderful to have you here and for people thank to, you. to uh, access your services. Thank you for having me it's been a wonderful pleasure and I'm happy to um, do this again whenever it's required. Definitely thank you so much and do have a wonderful day. Thank you you too bye-bye. Thanks for joining us this week on the Fertility Conversations podcast. If you enjoyed this podcast, please give us a five-star rating and subscribe. Follow us on Instagram at Fertility Conversations. If there are any topics you would like to have discussed, please send an email to fertilityconversations at gmail.com. Be sure to tune in next week for our next episode. Thank you again for listening. Take care of yourself and do stay hopeful.